Are you comfortable? We've done a lot to make you comfortable this morning. The heat is turned up. You have nice soft pews to sit in. We go to a lot, we go to great extents, don't we, in order to be comfortable. Last Sunday, I was in Tennessee. I flew there for my aunt's funeral, and uh, I had loaned my nice headphones to my son because he's going uh, on a going abroad trip for college in March. I didn't think I'd need them until then, and then my aunt passed away, and I had to fly there. And so the morning of my departure, I went out to my garage, knowing that I would not have my nice headphones that block out that terrible noise in the airplane. And I got the next best thing. <laughs> yes, I wore these on the airplane, unashamedly. I didn't care what the people who I'll never see again thought of me. I took a picture of myself on the plane and sent it to my brother, and he said, someone on the tarmac is missing their earmuffs. <laughs> a recent article in Christianity Today magazine was entitled this, Move Over Sex and Drugs, Ease is the New Vice. We have come to the place in our society where we have gadgets up the wazoo that we feel entitled to an unencumbered, unbothered life. We feel entitled to be comfortable. So I ask you again, are you comfortable this morning? <laughs> How about this question? Does God want you to be comfortable? <laughs> yes, but maybe not in the way you think. <laughs> I love the enthusiasm. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, Paul begins what in our Bibles is the second letter to Corinthians, but in reality was his fourth letter to them. About six, seven, eight years before this letter, he had been in Corinth, where he spent a year and a half starting this church, pouring his blood, sweat, and tears into it. And over the last several years, between that time and when Paul writes this letter, there were some people that came into the church that began to attack Paul and claim that he was a weakling. And as such, he had no authority from God. His claims to be an apostle of God were, were bogus. And so Paul opens up this letter to 2 Corinthians and carries this theme throughout the letter, culminating in that great chapter 15 where he expounds on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our future hope and resurrection as well. And what Paul does is he takes what is a martial arts move in Japan, this discipline called jujitsu, and uses the force of their argument against him and turns it around and uses it against them. And in so doing, he he exalts and lifts up his own weakness in order to magnify the power, the resurrection power of God. 
And so let's look this morning at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And let's try and do it without the eyes of our modern culture, without our preconceived ideas of what comfort is, and see what God's word says to us this morning about the role of comfort in our lives. And I think we're going to find something unique here. Paul begins with a blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have been comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings as us. Our hope in you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our own strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And you must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on behalf of us for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we readily admit that we come to a text like this and we're attracted to half of it. We're attracted to the comfort that you promise. And yet the other half really terrifies us. We do not like suffering. We do everything we can to avoid suffering. And a lot of that is proper. We don't want to be masochists, Lord. We, we want to... Uh, Enjoy the comfort and the peace and the joy, the love that you offer to us and freely give to us. And yet this morning as we study this passage, help us to see the important role that suffering plays in the life of those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And may we leave this place better equipped, not only to handle the suffering that we experience as we identify with Christ, but also to be able to share, to be conduits of the comfort that can only be experienced 
in and through you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, we see that suffering and comfort are intertwined. You can't have one without the other. That is, if you want the comfort of God. And that's the way that Paul starts out this morning. I just messed it up. There we go. Now I know how Don feels. I'm going to leave it with you guys, okay? Paul begins by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. What is mercy? It's not giving us something that we deserve. And God of all comfort. In other words, comfort is one of the attributes of God. It's one of his characteristics. It's who he is. Just like he is a God of love, he is love, so he is a God of comfort. Comfort is in his DNA. He is the God of all comfort. And he shares that comfort with us. Not only is he the God of all comfort, but he comforts us in all our afflictions. Have you experienced the comfort of God in all of your afflictions? It's there for you to experience. We're going to look at this text and see how that happens. But when God comforts us in our afflictions, that comfort is not meant to come into a, a pond, a stagnant pond, and remain there for our own personal benefit. No, that comfort is meant for us to share. In other words, we become conduits of the comfort that God shares with us. And it's very important because to understand that it is God's comfort we're talking about. Because he says there, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Have you ever been with someone that is going through a severe trial in their life and you have not experienced that yourself? And you feel like you can't empathize with them, you can't sympathize with them, you can't relate. Any words that you would say of encouragement would just seem to fall flat because you have not gone through the same thing that they have. I thought this morning I could, and I'm not going to do this, so please don't do it. It would be inappropriate for two reasons that I'll explain in a minute. But I could ask people who have gone through or are going through cancer to stand up this morning. No, please. <laughs> and, and, and by doing that, we could look around and see others who maybe are going through the same thing that we're going through that, that we didn't know that they also experienced that. I could ask people if, if you've gone through divorce or loss or a rebellious child, or any number of heartbreaking circumstances to stand. And we could see in this room all the heartache and pain that people have gone through, and we could identify with them and maybe connect with them afterwards and try and sympathize with one another and help one another. But that's not appropriate for two reasons. First, it puts people on the spot. No one ever likes to be put on the spot like that. 
But secondly, the comfort that we have to share with other people does not come from within ourselves, does not come from our own personal experiences. The comfort that we have to share with other people is the comfort that we have from God. And in so doing, we can be conduits of God's comfort with anyone who is going through any kind of affliction. We don't have to hold back and worry that we can't relate. Yes, you're right, you can't relate, but God can. God is the source of all comfort. And it is God's comfort that we have to share with anyone who is going through any kind of suffering. This is the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. And that's why it's so important, friends, when you are going through a difficult situation, not to mask the pain of that situation with anything that you can find in this world, whether it be good or bad, but to find your ultimate comfort in God and the comfort that he supplies so that you will then have something to share with those that you minister to. And so we see God as the source of comfort. He's been talking about affliction and in verse 5, he recharacterizes affliction, uses a different word, suffering. And in so doing, he says that sufferings are the prelude to God's comfort. We like to get comfortable before we go through suffering. That's why I brought those earmuffs on the plane. I knew that if I didn't, I would be bothered by the noise and wouldn't be able to concentrate on what work I brought along with me to do. And so I prepared for the suffering in such a way that I could alleviate that, get rid of it from my life. But the suffering that we experience is part of the comfort that God has for us. God is either allowing or directly bringing the suffering into your life for a particular reason. Notice what he, how, he call, how he characterizes this suffering. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, I think Paul began to understand what it means for Christ to suffer in and through us when he had that encounter with the Lord in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. Remember, remember that? Those of you who know the story about Paul's conversion, he was traveling as he had been going around, rounding up Christians, arresting them, and he was on his way to the city of Damascus to do the same thing. And on the road, he was halted by this great light and this voice. And remember what Jesus said to Saul, the very first words that he said to Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I wonder if Saul was stopped in his tracks, not only by the light, not only by the sound and the great surprise, but by the word that Jesus used to end that sentence. Saul didn't think he was persecuting Jesus. Saul thought he was rounding up Christians. Christians. 
and yet he learned that day, and he would come to learn as he meditated on these truths. And he shared them with us through the epistles that he wrote. That when Christians suffer in Christ, Christ suffers in them. These are the sufferings. You know, if you think about it, there are three kinds of sufferings in this world. You could boil them down to three general categories. They're the sufferings that you experience when you do something wrong and you suffer the consequences. You ignore a speed limit sign and you're pulled over by the police. You deserve that. You are suffering the consequences of your actions. Another kind of suffering that we experience is a suffering that we have just because we live in a fallen world. I mentioned that I went to Tennessee for my aunt's funeral five and a half years ago. She was diagnosed with terminal cancer. It's amazing she lasted as long as she did. It was a couple weeks ago that she went on hospice, and she didn't last long. And, And the end of her life was very painful. Why did she suffer that? What did she do to deserve that? Nothing. It's a result of living in a fallen world. But there's a third kind of suffering. It's a suffering that Paul is talking about here in this passage. The suffering in Christ. The suffering that comes as a result of identifying with Christ. And in so doing, being a faithful ambassador for Jesus Christ, as Paul is going to write about in 2 Corinthians 5.20. And when you identify with Christ, there will be suffering that accompanies that. For Paul, part of his suffering identifying with Christ was coming from within the church, from false teachers in the church who were accusing him and, and, and criticizing him, trying to take him down a notch or two. Paul certainly experienced suffering from without the church as well. Later in his epistle, he's going to go into great detail of all the sufferings that he experienced from stonings to shipwrecks, snake bites, and everything in between, all because... He was identifying with Christ. One of the things I wanted to do on the airplane was watch a movie that Kelly Seitz recommended to me. Uh, It was mentioned earlier that Kelly Seitz is in the Congo right now fighting the Ebola crisis there. And she told me about a movie called Facing Darkness that describes the Ebola crisis of 2014 that happened in Liberia. Dr. Kent Brantley, in in the process of fighting Ebola, succumbed to the disease himself. And I don't know if you remember watching on the news that he was brought back to America where he was uh, finally pronounced healed. And someone asked him, and I wrote this down when I was watching the movie, someone asked him, Do I think my faith saved me? Is that what healed me? In a very real way, it was my faith. That was our attempt to follow Christ that got me Ebola. And that changed my perception on faith. And then he said these words. 
that are so important for us to understand. Faith is not something that makes you safe. God brings suffering into our lives because that is the only way we can experience God's comfort. For as we share abundantly, abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Friends, the comfort that God gives to you in the sufferings that he gives to you will always be greater than the suffering. It will overflow into your lives and give you more than enough to share with other people. And that's the next thing that Paul mentions here, sharing. Sharing is the purpose of suffering. Notice that he says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Paul is saying, everything that I have experienced in this life by way of suffering, it's for you. I am a messenger of Jesus Christ, and in so doing, I bear his marks on my body. But I do it gladly because I have something to share with you. I want to share with you God's comfort and God's salvation. And it's in this word salvation that the idea of comfort, the proper understanding of what God's comfort is, starts to come into focus. We start to move away from the idea that it's ease, this unencumbered, unbothered life. But it has the idea of salvation, which has, I'll use a big theological word on you, eschatological implications. That simply means it has implications for all of eternity. There is comfort that we experience in the here and now, but the comfort that we are ultimately looking for cannot fully be realized here in this earth. It is something that it is literally out of this world. The hope that we have with Christ. It's the hope that the certainty that I know where my Aunt Wendy is right at this moment. As soon as she took her last breath here on this earth, she was transported to be with her Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of her pain and suffering that she experienced here is gone forever because she is experiencing the culmination, the final realization of her salvation. And Paul goes on to explain then how we experience the comfort. You experience it when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. And so, once again, we're being moved away from that idea of ease, unbothered, unencumbered life. God's comfort is something that we experience when we patiently endure 
So God's comfort must not be taking away the problem necessarily. It has an idea of giving you strength and energy and encouragement in the midst of the suffering. You experience God's comfort. When my aunt was diagnosed five and a half years ago, my cousin, her son's wife, was not yet a believer. And my aunt has a lot of collections. Her house is small, but it's jam-packed, full of all sorts of things that, frankly speaking, no one really wants. Except for one. She adopted a word. And that word was joy. And everywhere she went, Hobby Lobby, you know, all those places that you can find that word, part of the paraphernalia that they're selling. She'd buy it. She'd put it up in her house or she'd give it away to someone. And my cousin's wife, her name is Gretchen, not yet a believer, actually became angry with my aunt. She'd never expressed this to my Aunt Wendy. But in, in her heart, well, here, just let me read. She, she says it much better. With each new trinket or framed art that showed up on the wall that included the word joy, I grew more and more uncomfortable with seeing the word in their house and could feel myself also becoming more and more distant. I began having trouble even speaking to Wendy. I didn't understand why this word she, why this was the word she loved. I didn't understand why she wanted to surround herself with the word joy when that was the opposite of what we were feeling about her cancer returning and taking up residence in her bones, liver, brain, and other vital organs. But then she came to faith in Christ. And she learned the importance of finding your strength in God's word. And so she wrote out several scripture passages that she shared with us. This was her eulogy at the funeral, actually. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Re Romans 12.12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And then James 1.2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Then it hit me. It's not about me. It's not about Wendy. It's not about the grandkids. It's about our Savior. It's about having joy and knowing that we are his child, not to have anger in the trials and tribulations, but to have joy that supersedes all sadness because we give these trials to our Father and rest in him and feel the joy that we are his for eternity. This is what really matters. This is what we are here for. Wendy understood this. I read this morning in my devotions a thought that Eugene Peterson shared on joy. Joy is what we experience when God takes over our lives. When our self-sufficiency gives out and his all-sufficiency takes over. The experience of joy doesn't come from us, it comes to us. It isn't something we do, it's something that God does. And that's what Paul experienced as well. In the next portion here in verses 8 through 11, he no longer mentions comfort, but he uses a different word. And so the idea of comfort comes into sharp focus 
when we understand that it means deliverance. Deliverance. This is the definition of God's comfort. Paul says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This affliction was so intense. And this comes from a guy who has experienced a lot of suffering in his life. But this one drove him to the edge, to the point where he despaired of life itself. As a matter of fact, it says here, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. In other words, when Paul prayed for deliverance, the only word that he seemed to get from God was, you're going to die. You're not going to make it through. And yet Paul's response to all this, that was to make us, not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This is the God of all comfort. The God who delivers. And notice three times Paul says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Three times Paul expresses his certainty in the deliverance of God. Oh, he knew that he was not going to make it off this planet alive. But his ultimate deliverance he also knew was not coming in escaping from any of the sufferings or afflictions or tribulations that God brought into his life here and now, but ultimately to be at home with God. And that's why he references the resurrection of the dead. Yes, even if I die, I know I will rise again because Jesus has risen again. Friends, if you are here today and you do not know what it means to experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ I urge you go to the cross see there is no resurrection without death there is no comfort without suffering and so we go to the cross and we see where Jesus suffered and died for our sins and yet he didn't stay dead three days later he rose again defeating the powers of sin and death And giving us hope that we too will rise again. Paul brings us all together in in verse 11. How can we minister to other people most effectively? If it's God's comfort that we have to share, how are we to share that comfort? Paul urges his Corinthian brothers and sisters who are being tempted to to criticize him along with the false teachers. He urges them to come together in unity with him. And how do they do that? It's through prayer. We're going through this Worship Connect Serve series. And this message fits perfectly with that second category of connecting. Connecting through caring. And how do we care? What is the greatest way that we can care for one another? Sometimes it feels like, The last thing that we can do. I can only pray for you as if that isn't enough. But for Paul, it was everything. He says, you also must help us. How? By prayer. This Corinthian church was hundreds of miles away. Their contact was infrequent. 
How are they going to be kept updated? They, they get no texts or tweets or emails of Paul's condition. They didn't need any of that. God knows. It's God that comforts with his comfort. Our job is simply to pray. You must help us by prayer. Why? Because the more people I get praying, the better chance I have of getting my prayer requests answered. Is that what Paul says? That's how we think sometimes, right? If I just get more people praying about this, I'll start the prayer chain. And that's not the purpose of the prayer chain. And that's not the purpose of soliciting other people to pray with us. It's that many give thanks. He goes back to how he began in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's all about God. The sufferings, the comfort, the care, the prayer. We have to keep that God focused. And so when God answers the prayer, then many who have been praying will give praise and thanks to God for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Many of you have probably heard the old story of a rescue station built on a coast. A dangerous coast that had lots of shipwrecks. And so a group of people got together and they built this rescue station. They'd go out and they'd save people by the dozens. And eventually they came to the conclusion that their rescue station wasn't comfortable enough. And so they decided to fix it up. Make it a little bit more suitable for the people that they brought in. And eventually, their task of rescuing people moved farther and farther and farther down the list until they came to the place where they no longer were going out and rescuing the people who were dying. But they were enjoying what had become a country club atmosphere. And they were all comfortable. Now that story is a good story. But Sky Jatani, last week in a devotional that he wrote, kind of turns that story on its head as well. Because what does it communicate? It communicates that uh, comfort is what is needed. A.W. Tozer is quoted as saying, what you win them with is what you win them to. Friends, I think we have to be careful in our sharing of God's comfort to also include God's suffering. There's going to be intense suffering if you identify with Christ. But that is the only way that you can experience his comfort. So my challenge for you this morning is twofold. First of all, embrace whatever suffering that God gives you. Not in a weird sort of a way. That doesn't mean you can't try and, you know, you break your arm, please go to the doctor. You know, don't embrace that. <laughs> uh, Go to the doctor and have the doctor brace it. But the suffering that you experience that is outside of your control, understand that God has his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the thermometer. And his goal in your life is to pronounce you well done, a good and faithful servant. 
And then as you receive that comfort from God, look, open your eyes. Look for opportunities to share that comfort with other people, especially through the ministry of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that it's been challenging to us, convicting to us, encouraging to us. Lord, we're so attracted to comfort. Help us to also understand the important role that suffering plays in our lives. And then to open our eyes to look at the world around us and see the suffering all around and opportunities to share your comfort there as well. In Jesus' name, amen.